As Pastor Justin said, my name is Enos Marshall, Executive Pastor here at New Heights Church. If you don't know me yet, well, hello. And for those of you that do know me, you're welcome. But anyways, with that, hey, you just saw a few, those are some groups that aren't yet full to capacity. And as you heard Pastor Justin say, in our atrium right after service, you're going to see all of our small group leaders at their different tables. If you're not signed up yet for a small group, you're going to want to get connected. But this is what I want to do. Can I have all of my small group leaders that are in this room, can you do me a favor? Can you stand to your feet? All of my small group leaders... Go ahead, don't be shy, don't be shy. Look at that, look at all these men and women. I know there's more than that, but they're not here. Now, hold on, stay standing, stay standing. Now, if you have already signed up for a small group, would you stand up to your feet as well? If you've signed up for a small group, you are in a small group, can you stand up? Look at that, look at that, yeah. Now, if you haven't signed up, feel the pressure, okay? This is positive peer pressure. You can go ahead and be seated. But look at that. Look at the representation of people getting plugged in to find freedom to take that next step because life change happens in the context of real relationship. We are so excited for that. Well, I'm excited to be speaking with you all this morning as we continue our study in First Peter. Uh, Pastor Justin, it, see how it just works out? He'd asked me a couple weeks ago, he said, hey, I want you to cover this week for me. And then it turns out on Friday morning, he wakes up and he can hardly talk, his voice is gone. And I was like, you know, you really should speak. I think that would be important for you to do that. But no, but I, so I'm excited, looking forward to this opportunity as we continue through the book of First Peter. And honestly, the the book of 1 Peter is a great book. It's great, good, really good timing, I believe, right now for us to be going through, considering and given the culture and the climate towards God, Christianity, and the church. I believe that today it is harder to follow and serve God than any ever before in my lifetime. In the uh, short 41 years that I've spent here on this earth, I really do believe that it is, it is harder to do it now than before. That there used to be uh, a set of, of, of morals, of uh, a consensus of what is truth, of what is right and what is wrong. But now it seems like there is no consensus of truth. That the, what, what, what was once right is now wrong or it is indifferent. There used to be, there, there were pastors and, and moral leaders that I looked up to growing up that stood for a set of standards and spoke on a set of standards that they've either uh, traded in or they've completely abandoned for a more educated enlightened or culturally positive or sensitive message of love. And while the trials and the temptations that we still face today, now they don't, they, let's be honest, if we live in America, we're doing pretty good. And there are people all over the world that face trials and temptations in light of even the, the fear of death every single day. So some of the things that we go through, they may not match up to what some of the rest of the world and in different parts of the world that they go through when it comes to Christianity and the word of God. But even so, they are still things that will cause us to pause 
maybe even take a break or, or all together just question, is this really worth it? Is it worth it to go on? And this is why Peter writes this letter. In verses 1 through 12, Peter is encouraging us through hostility that, that we face that our salvation, that we've got this salvation that God orchestrated for us. I mean, think about that. The God of the universe, the creator of everything, orchestrated this salvation for us. And that we are living in a time of fulfillment that the prophets of long ago talked about but never lived to see. Like, again, let's think about that just for a moment. These, these prophets from thousands of years ago spoke of and prophesied about Jesus and the coming salvation. Well, Jesus came over 2,000 years ago. We are living in the time of fulfillment that they spoke of, but they never got to experience. And because of those things, Paul says, hey, you can find joy in your suffering. And then he gets to verse 13. And as he gets to verse 13, he shifts the focus. He shifts the focus from finding joy in our suffering to now how do we live a pure and holy life while also living in a corrupt society. So Paul begins, or so Peter begins to lay it out for us. In verse 13, it says, so how do, you, how do you find or how do you live and be holy and pure in a society that is, that is corrupt? He says, well, first, where's your hope placed? Our hope is found in God. Remember, orchestrated our salvation. So that's where our hope is found. And then in verses 14 through 16, well, how do we relate to the world? How do we relate living in this corrupt society to be pure and holy? Well, we relate as children of God. If our hope is found in God, then we are children of God, meaning we are to be set apart. We are to be different. So how do we relate to the world? We relate to them as children, as sons and daughters of God. And then he goes on. In verses 17 through 21, which is what we will be talking about today. And how do we then relate to God in this time? And our hope is found in God. And we are motivated. We're motivated by God's promises. But what happens when our faith becomes weak? What happens when hostility comes against us, when we face temptation and we just don't feel like we can stand anymore? Then where does our motivation come from? And so today we're talking about what's your motivation? Do me a favor, bow your heads, close your eyes, repeat this prayer after me. Dear Jesus, speak to my heart, change my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when I was a senior in college, I decided to take a summer class uh, because, well, one, it sounded fun, and two, it was only a two-week class. I needed a science, a science credit and a lab, and I decided I didn't want to take an entire semester of science 
when somebody said, hey, there's a summer class where you have one week of, uh, of, of study in the classroom, and then the second week you actually go out camping, and it's the lab is you're out camping in nature. So I'm like, sign me up. That's what I'm going to do. So I'm in this class, and, one of, and when we go out to uh, spend the week camping, one of the places where we go is to Mount St. Helens. Mount St. Helens erupted in 1980, uh, ma- massive destruction, all, all that stuff. So we were back there looking at the effects of the eruption, but also of the process of restoration that was happening that the, the naturally in the world. Uh, that the that the earth goes through, and one of the days we are going to walk down or hike down to Spirit Lake. Now, as we begin to hike down, you can see the lake when we're standing up at the hill. You're standing there. You're looking Mount St. Helens right there, and there's Spirit Lake right down below you. You can see the lake, and in my mind, I'm going, "Let's just take a straight shot down there to the lake." But instead, there's all of these switchbacks that happen through here. And so you're going behind these hills and up on over these hills. And it literally takes a few hours to get there. All along the way, seeing these little signs along the path that say, stay on the marked path. Violators will be fined and even possibly prosecuted. And I'm thinking to myself, well, that's weird. There's dirt here. There's dirt there. What matters if I stand here or I step off the trail and I'm standing on the dirt there? Regardless, it takes us a few hours to get down to the lake. We get down to the lake. I'm exhausted. I'm tired. It's a beautiful day. And I've got blisters on my feet because, you know, you buy brand new hiking boots and you don't hike before and then you put them on and wear them. And, of course, you get blisters. It's the best way to do it. Well, we spent our time down there, then we had to turn around and go back. And me and my buddy, we're still tired, nursing some blisters on our feet. The rest of the class takes off and starts their journey back. And I know it's going to take even longer than what it took, because now everything is uphill. you got to go through all these switchbacks. And the class had already started, so it's just me and my buddy. We're down there, and we're like, okay, we should probably get going. And we look, and there, the class is nowhere in sight. We're like, we're going to be the last ones there. It's going to take us forever. This is going to be really hard. And again, we just look straight up, and we can see the trailhead. We're like, it's just right up there, just right up this big hill. And we go, what if we just, what if we just f- forego the trail and head up the side of this hill and we'll beat everybody. And then we'll stand at the trail and we'll be like, hey, everybody, what took you so long? And we just thought this was a great idea. We were, we were laughing and we're going up and, and, and we're going up these, just literally blazing a trail of our own. And we're going up and we're laughing, thinking of what we're going to say when people start showing up. And we make it all the way to the top. And we're a good 45 minutes ahead of everybody else. And then they start showing up at the trailhead, you know, coming across. Some people just walk right past us. Then others, some of our friends are looking at us, and they're like, how did you get here before us? And we're like, you're so slow. Did you not see us pass you? You know, we're joking about it, making, you know, laughing. And so we go back to our campsite. We're sitting at the, at the picnic table preparing for dinner. And we're sitting around, and again, me and my buddy, we're kind of just laughing about this. And one of our other friends that went up the right way 
thought it would be fun to, to come up with a riddle. And he said, hey, everybody, riddle me this. <laughs> Enos and Adam left the lake after all of us, did not pass us, but showed up at the trailhead before all of us. How could that be? <laughs> and our professor's ears kind of perk up. Because for the first time, he realizes that we got up there uh, the way we weren't supposed to get up there. And so he looks at us and he says, how did you get up here? And this professor, he was in his early 40s, so again, young guy, just like I am now. Uh, but he was, one of the reasons why people took his classes because he was a really cool, fun guy. Like you could laugh with him, have fun. And so that's one of the reasons. So I had never seen him angry before. I've never heard him raise his voice until that moment. And he said, how did you guys get up here? And we look at each other and we're giggling and we go, we just went right up the mountain. It is so much shorter and faster. And he gets these cold, steely eyes just staring right on us. And he ripped into us. He goes, how dare you go off trail? He threatened to send us home, to, to fail us in the class. He said, don't you understand? Now, you got to realize, some of you are like, what is the big deal? He's a scientist, okay? And what they were doing, like, <clears throat> not many places in, in any of our lifetime or in our history as a country have there been devastation from this volcanic eruption like there was. And so they were using that as a, a, to see how does the world recover and restore uh, naturally without any help of replanting things and all that. It's this idea that if you're on this path, if you step off the path, you can be stepping on and destroying some possible growth and microorganisms that are just starting. You can also be caring uh, from your feet something somewhere else uh, that, and really interrupt the whole process. He was just letting us have it. And before that moment, I didn't realize the seriousness of what we had done until afterwards. Now, as I get older now, the older I get, I realize that the amount of time that I have left here on earth is not that long. That I know that I have lived more years behind me than what I have in front of me. And with that realization makes me think about and realize some of the things that weren't as important when I was younger are more important now. Some of the things that I didn't make uh, a first priority in my life are first priorities now. Now in my life, I have taken shortcuts I've taken the easy, the easy road. I was just, me and Pastor Justin were just laughing about our academic history in, in college and high school, that I had an opportunity to do a paper, get a paper done, and get a good grade, and I just thought, hey, if I don't do it, as long as I don't fail, I'm good. So I've taken shortcuts the easy way. When, when given two choices of the road more traveled or the road less traveled, more times than not, I've taken the road more traveled. But I get it now. I need to make the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is eternity. God's future promise for all of us that believe in him. 
That future promise is there for everyone to take. But it's granted to those that believe in him and accept him. And that idea alone of eternity, of God's future promise, is motivation for me to keep going and not give up. But it's not just a motivation for me selfishly, but it's a motivation for me to help others have the opportunity to receive the same promise. Because it's the promise of eternity that people that don't have and receive that, they don't get it. And so it motivates me knowing that if it's about eternity, if the main thing is about eternity, then I need to make letting people know about eternity the main thing in my life. And so that is the main thing. And so just, even though at that moment when I stepped off that trail and I thought it was funny, my professor knew what was at stake. Well, God knows what's at stake as well. And that leads us to our main point this morning. If you remember anything that I say this morning, remember this, because it is an important truth. It's a very simple truth, but it's a very important truth. That if we want to be able to stand when hard times and hostility and temptations come before us, if we want to remain to be motivated and continue to be motivated by what is important to God, then we need to understand this. And be motivated by it. And it's simply this. Is that God is serious and eternity is real. God is serious and eternity is real. Now Peter knew this. Peter knew what was at stake. And he knew that his time was limited. His time on this earth was short. Even Jesus himself only had three years of active ministry. Peter knew that time was limited. And it motivated him to continue on to not give up and Peter knew that we were going to need reminders Peter knew that it was going to get hard that at times we would become weak that we would become weary that we would want to stop that we would want to give up but he knew that we needed to continue on he knew that we needed some motivation so he wanted to remind us and show us and command us how to continue to move forward in the face of trials and hostility and temptation and so we pick it up in verse 17 where he says this and if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. God is a gracious, loving, generous Father. Isn't that good? He's a gracious, loving, generous Father. But you know what else He is? He is a holy, disciplining judge. God is serious. And I think sometimes or too often we view God incorrectly. That we, we get the part of loving and mercy and forgiveness. We get that part, but we don't get the part. We don't get the holy part. See, we forget that because God is holy, Sin cannot be in the same presence as God. 
It is a high cost. Juan Sanchez says this about God's holiness. He alone is uniquely distinct from all else. Uniquely distinct from all else. He alone is an uncreated being. He alone dwells in unapproachable light. So again, he's holy. Sin cannot come into its presence. He says, therefore, nothing common or unclean can come into his presence. Consequently, only those things or persons which are made clean and consecrated to God for his service, that is, made holy, can approach God's presence. I think sometimes we forget the part that God is a holy, disciplining judge, that there are consequences to sin. And we look forward to this day, this day of salvation, as Peter puts it. We look forward to the day of salvation, but that day of salvation, that future promise of eternity that we look forward to, it is also known as a day of judgment. Because God is not only this loving God, but he is the judge of the world. He will judge the world. Now, as it comes to the unbeliever, the unbeliever will be judged based on their life with future judgment as far as where their eternity is. But for the believer, because we've already received that salvation, that saving grace of Jesus, our judgment will be based upon primarily what we do here on this earth. On everything we say and on everything we do. And it is, there is no litmus test. There's no bar that's been set. It is based off of you and you alone. You don't get to say, oh, well, so-and-so made me do this or so-and-so made me do that. Or, well, look at them or, or look, at, look at that person over there. No, it's, it's you and him. And you will be judged based off of the works that you do. Basically, you will stand before God and God will say, with the time that I gave you on this earth, what have you done to make my son famous? And we will give an account of that. And based from that judgment, we will be given rewards for eternity. Our salvation has already been sealed. But it's standing before God giving an account of what have we done or how have we used this life, this gift that God has given us. Will we stand and go, oh, I can't take it anymore, I can't. Or are we going to press on because God has motivated us for a future promise? And I, don't, I do not want to play down the hardships and the trials and the temptations that we face because they are hard. But Peter is saying, don't give up because there is a reward for you. There's also a judgment for you that will base, be based upon what you are rewarded with. And so, so Paul, again, reminds us, yes, he is our heavenly father, but he is also the judge of the world. Do not forget that. How we live, what we do, what we say, it matters. It matters. And so then he goes on and he talks about this fear. So you know God's, God's our father. Uh, he's also our, our, our judge. And then he talks about this fear. 
And what Paul is talking about, a lot of times we hear fear and we're like, oh, it's more of this afraid thing. Like, oh, I'm so scared. And so we fear. That has a component, component to it. But in this sense, this word fear also is talking about respect, honor, reverence. It reminds me of... Uh, it reminds me of when I was in high school, I had my first job and I was going to the bank to cash my check. Remember those days you had to actually go into a bank? They used to give you a paper check, you know, <laughs> you had to go and do that. Now you can do it all from your phone. But I went in to cash my paycheck and it wasn't very big. I was just a junior in high school. And this guy was in this van in this parking lot. Okay, <laughs> so first red flag. <laughs> Strange guy in a van in a parking lot approaches you. Do not talk to them, okay? So this person gets out and they go, hey, hey, tell, tells me the story. He's selling some speakers uh, from his van. And he shows me they're like in these boxes, these big speakers. He goes, Listen, this is leftover stuff in our warehouse. The boss said, just go out, sell this, get rid of it, and do it. Now, me being young and, and just stupid, um, my sister's boyfriend at, this, at the time had this bass amp in the back of his trunk, and he would turn on that, you know, we'd be driving down, it'd be like, not that you hear it, but you feel it, you're like, uh, you know, and, uh, and he had told me how he made it, I'm looking at these speakers, I'm like, I could do that really cheap, oh, that would be cool, and by the way, not cool, it's so dumb, but anyways, sorry for any of you that have that in your vehicle right now. But, uh, so I thought, okay, I'm going to get these, I'm going to buy these speakers. I'm like, well, how much? And he's like, well, how much do you got? And I'm like, I got this check right here. He's like, that's perfect. I'll sell you, man. I'm going to take a loss on this, but I will sell it to you for the full amount of your check. And I'm like, okay, great. And I start going, he goes, you want me to go in with you? I'm like, sure, come on in. So he, he goes in, the teller's like, this is fishy, but, you know, she doesn't stop anything. Get the money, give him the money. He gives me the two boxes of speakers, and he drives off uh, towards another uh, part of the parking lot. And I'm like, yeah, I just got this great deal. My dad was a firefighter, and his, the, the fire station was just like a couple blocks, just on the back side of this shopping center that I was at. And I'm so proud of myself. I'm like, I cannot wait to go tell dad what I did. He's going to be like, you are so smart and sound with your money. Oh, it's so amazing. So I drive over to the fire station. My dad comes out. I'm like, hey, dad, come check this out. And I show him. And he's like, where did you get those? I go, some guy in the parking lot. He's like, how did you get them? Oh, I just cashed my paycheck and gave him the whole thing. He looks at me and he goes, what are you thinking? are you dumb? <laughs> I'm like, uh, I guess so. <laughs> he goes, you get back in your car, you go and find him, you give him back his speakers and you get your money back. I'm like, okay, dad. So I drive over and sure enough, he's still driving around the parking lot looking for other people to scam. And I go up to him, he sees me and he gets out. He's like, you want more speakers? I'm like, no, I've got to give you these speakers back. And so I need my money back. Oh, sorry, I don't have your money anymore. I'm like, it's been 10 minutes. He goes, yeah, I went and put it in the bank. I'm like, no, you didn't. I go, 
I need my money back. I got to give you these speakers back. He's like, sorry, man, I, I can't. I just don't have the money now. I'll tell you what. Uh, I'll give you my, my name and address, and uh, I'll, I'll, send you, I'll send you the money. And, um, you know, I'm just, again, I'm like a 15, 16-year-old kid at the time. I don't know. I, I'm dealing with this guy. I don't know what to do. So I'm like, okay, yeah, give me your license. I'm going to write stuff. Well, he gives me his driver's license, and there's a hole punch through it. I mean, it's... It's not even, and I'm like, dude, this is not even, a, this is a suspended license. Like, it's expired. He's like, oh, no. And, and I'm like, I need my money back. Give me my money back. He's like, hey, man, I got to go. And he gets in his van. And wise thinking as I am, I go, I'm going to stand in front of this van so he can't drive off. Drive off. And I go and I stand and I put my hands on his hood. I go, give me my money. And at that point, his eyes get super big, like he's afraid, and he gets out of the van. He's like, fine, fine, man. And I'm like, that's right. Don't mess with me. Little do I know, I turn behind me, and a big old fire truck's pulling up. <laughs> my, dad, <laughs> my, my dad and his partner get out of the fire truck, and they, they're all in their, you know, in their uniforms, and uh, they're like, hey, what's your name? What you doing? You, you like uh, scamming kids? You know, they're walking around, looking at the van, taking down the license plate, like they really had any authority. I mean, they're firefighters. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, the guy gives the money back. I give him his speakers back, and, and they take off, and I go back to the fire department, to the station there, and I go to my dad, and I walk up sheepishly to him. Sorry. <laughs> I walk up sheepishly to my dad, and he could tell <clears throat> that I was, uh, I didn't feel good about myself, but I didn't feel good because I knew that I had disappointed him. And I was a little bit afraid, too, <laughs> of what he would do if I didn't get my money back. But my dad saw that, and he put his arm around me, and he said, Enos, it's okay. It's okay. And then he said, don't ever do that again. <laughs> but it was this reverent fear that I had of disappointing my dad, of letting him down, and of being afraid of what would happen if I didn't make it right. And I remembered that moment, and it motivated me to never want to do that again, to want to keep going. It's that same healthy fear that I have when it comes with my wife. <laughs> I remain faithful to my wife because I don't want to let her down. I don't want to disappoint her. I don't want to hear her. But I also know if I am unfaithful to her, she will kill me. <laughs> this is that fear. That's the fear that Peter is talking about. He says, as exiles... What does he mean by exile? He's saying this land that you're in, this time here on earth, it is temporary. This is not our final destination. In fact, this place as exiles, as people of just passerbyers, what we do here is just the staging area for our eternity. It's the setup time. What we're doing here will determine how and what our eternity will be like. 
And that's what Peter is saying. And so Peter is using that and reminding us and telling us, listen, if you make this your home, if you make this time here on this earth what it's all about, he goes, you're going to get comfortable and you're going to get weary and you're going to get tired. And guess what? When hostility comes, when temptation comes, when trials come, guess what? Because this is where your life is grounded and what you've made the main thing, he goes, you're going to stumble. You're going to fall you may walk away and go back to your life before Jesus, but you're not going to be motivated to move on and keep going. And so he's telling us and reminding us, he goes, in those times, in those moments, be motivated. Be motivated because God is serious. And let that put a healthy fear within us so that we don't quit that we can keep going. But should, should we stop believing in if God's promises of, promise of eternity with him, if that doesn't do it for us, then he also says, let the warning that judgment is coming do it. And so he moves on in verse 18 and 19. He says, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited, from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So Peter begins to talk about this idea of being ransomed. And Thomas Watson says this. He says, great was the work of creation, but greater the work of redemption. It says, it costs more to redeem us than to make us. In the one, there was but the speaking of a word. In the other, the shedding of blood. There is a price to sin. And it is a heavy, heavy price. Ezekiel 18.4 says this, For all people are mine to judge. Again, Loving father, but holy disciplining judge. He says, both parents and children alike. He goes on, and this is my rule. This is God's rule. The person who sins is the one who will die. There is a price to sin. We need redemption. We need redemption. And so Peter is referring to that first Passover, that idea in Exodus 12, when they talk about the Israelites enslaved in Egypt. And they're going to get out of Egypt. And God had brought all these plagues. And Pharaoh said, no, 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 no. And finally said, I'm going to send the angel of death. And he told the Israelites, he said, listen, this is what you need to do in order to escape the penalty of sin. He said, you need to take an innocent, spotless, perfect lamb. And you need to sacrifice it. And you take the blood of something innocent and you put it over your doorposts so that when the, the, the angel of death comes by, it will see the blood that you have been ransomed for and redeemed by and that angel will pass over. Every household that did not have it, the, the firstborn male in the household died. And that is what Peter is referring to, this idea of the sacrificial lamb. 
So all these years they're sacrificing these lambs. This, this idea that an innocent sacrifice to redeem those stuck and trapped in bondage. By the way, that is everyone that doesn't know Jesus. Stuck and trapped in the bondage of sin. So what does redeemed mean? Redeemed simply means this, to deliver by the payment of price. And we talked about that price. And, and Peter talked about that. He said, not, not futile things that will perish and pass away. Not things like silver and gold. Now, I like silver and gold. <laughs> okay, silver and gold have value. In fact, especially in today's economic climate, I would love to have lots and lots and lots of silver and gold. Right? That gives us, that, that, that gives us some assurance. But Peter said, no, no, no. Nothing like silver, silver and gold, those things that will waste away. No, a perfect, innocent sacrifice. And that perfect, innocent sacrifice was Jesus. Without sin, came to this earth without sin, did not sin, but instead took our sin upon him. Still not sinning so that he would die in our place to redeem us, to pay the price for our disobedience. And he did it for you. He did it for you, for every single one of you. He did it for us. And Paul, or Peter, sorry, Romans, Peter, whatever. <laughs> Peter is reminding us. He's reminding us, hey, be motivated by the sacrifice. Because it cost more than you could ever imagine. The most valuable blood ever spilled on this earth was that of Jesus. To die for our sins. To take our place. God gave up everything for us because he was serious. Gave up everything because he was serious. He gave up his son, his most prized possession because he was serious. Verse 20. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. The, cra the cross was not by accident. The cross wasn't an accident. It was appointed. It was on purpose. It was set up even before time. Try and comprehend this a second. Because we are finite beings. We only know from the moment we're born, we have an expiration date at some point. Like we are bound by time. Try and think of limitless time before time even began. But when did that begin? You see what I mean? It gets a little hard. But before there was even the creation of time, God appointed Jesus to be the sacrifice to save you and me. It was not an act. Jesus was not a last minute fix. He was always the fix. And he did it for us. Let that be your motivation because eternity is real. 
And because eternity is real, because here on earth there is an expiration and then there is a beginning, either you will be with God or you won't be, because eternity is real, Jesus said, God, Dad, I'll do it. Let that be our motivation to keep going. Verse 21 who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Our faith enables us to trust God's grace in this life. Our faith enables us to trust God's grace in this life. That's that's what salvation is that we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died and shed his blood for our sins to take our place. And that enables us to, to trust God through that, through this life. That yes, you've saved me, you've redeemed me, you've bought me. Our hope, our hope enables us to trust God for his future promise of eternity. As we're experiencing that salvation right here and now in this life. But our hope in God allows us to trust him for his promise, his future promise of eternity. And that there, because of that, should motivate us. Should motivate us to continue on, to not give up, to not turn back and go back to our old way of life but instead continue to move forward. Why? Because God is serious and eternity is real. God is serious and eternity is real. And as we wrap up this morning, I want to wrap up with this. It's all about eternity. Where will we spend it? With God or without? And because of that, it it moves us as a church, as a leadership, to fulfill what our vision, what our mission is of leading people in a growing relationship with Jesus. That is our that is our vision. And how we do that, how how do we help people secure their eternity to continue in a growing relationship with Jesus. Because again, it all boils down to eternity. I'm gonna bring it full circle here so that you know, you can understand this. How do we do it? The first first way is this, we help people know God. It's the very first thing. That's why we're gonna always give opportunities for people to receive and respond to the message of hope of Jesus. That's why we're always gonna preach God's word and let it penetrate the hearts and minds of everyone who hears it. And we give that opportunity for someone to begin a real relationship with Jesus. Now, that is our ticket into eternity. That's what eternity is about. We might say to ourselves then, well, then don't we just stop there? That's it. We've made it, right? No. That's not the end. Once we say yes to Jesus, it's just the beginning. The real hard work begins. You say, how? I don't understand. Because we've got to continue to take steps towards Jesus because if we don't if we don't keep moving towards Jesus we will be pulled back to who we were before him just as the Israelites 
They were rescued and saved. God rescued them. God saved them from Egypt. He delivered them from Egypt. But that was just the beginning. The journey began. And that leads us to the second way. So first, people know God. After that, what's the next step? The next step is to help them find freedom. Well, what does that mean? Find freedom from their old life. You might, you might say to yourself, you talk about this freedom. I don't know what's going on. Remember, the Israelites were rescued and delivered from Egypt. They left that place of Egypt. But God still had to get the idea of slavery in Egypt out of them. And the same is true for us. God will save us. He will redeem us. He will rescue us. But we still have to take steps towards him so we stop living the life we did before him. Because if we keep doing the same thing we've always done, we're going to get the same results we've always gotten. That's why we need to get in the word. We need to find time to pray and build relationship with our heavenly father. The main way that we help people find freedom to leave their old life is through small groups. You go, here we go. He's talking about small groups again because it's vitally important for our faith and our development of our faith. Because God never intended for us to do life alone and life change happens in the context of authentic relationships. When we gather around a group of people that we can, we can drop all the things, we can drop the facades, we can drop the masks. When we're going through something, when we're facing temptation, those people that we've built relationship, that believe the same things, have the same morals, the same values, and want to see the best for you, they can come around you and they can pray for you. They can help you. They can rejoice with you in your victories. Because God didn't intend for us to do life alone. He brings people around us to help us. If you're not connected into a small group, get connected in. I Never will anybody say, boy, taking steps toward Jesus was the worst mistake of my life. They will always say, I wish I would have. Do what God's calling you to do. Find a small group. Get plugged in. But still, we're not done there. What do you mean we're not done there? Because there's still steps that we need to take. That next step is that, because again, what we've done, knowing God, it's about us. Getting in a small group to find that freedom in our life from our, from our old past, that's still about us. Well, we need to keep going. God's got more for us to do. We need to just discover how God has gifted and designed us. You, you know that 86% of people that call themselves Christians do not know what their purpose is. Paul refers to the church as the body of Christ. If 86% of my body did not know what it was supposed to do, I would look a little funny, wouldn't I? But that's what happens every single day in the church. Because Christ followers do not know how they are gifted, how they are designed, and what dream God has put in their heart to fulfill for him. And so we have what we call growth track. Starting June 5th at 9.30 in the morning, downstairs by the office doors in room B will be the first step of growth track. After that, the next week, June 12th, we'll have the second step. The first, the first step, we're going to tell you about our mission, how we accomplish the mission, how you can be, uh, you can go all in with the church, what it means to be a Christian, what we do. June 12th, 
Find your design. How has God gifted you? What uniqueness has he, has he given you to fulfill and live the life that he has for you and the dreams that he has for you? And then the third step of growth track is where you, we then allow you and show you and help you to become part of the team. And that's the step. This is, this is the part that's exciting. Remember, Jesus said, I've come to give you life, not just any life, but life to the fullest. He wants you to experience the very best that he has to offer you. And where all previous, three previous steps were about you and finding things for you so that you can take your step, guess what the last step does? He puts you together with a group to make a difference for eternity. And you can join the dream team. We call it the dream team because God has given us all a dream. And he wants us all to fulfill that dream that he has given us. So we created a team called the dream team. So that anywhere that you can serve or think about serving, you can join that team and begin to live out the God-given purposes and dreams he's placed along in the inside of your life and inside of your heart. Why? To make a difference for eternity. Because when we do that, guess what happens? We help through that process. We help others know God, find freedom, make a difference, discover purpose. And when they get in that place, guess what? Through doing that, they help people know God, find freedom, make a difference. All of those things, it comes full circle. Let that be the motivation because it's all about eternity. That's how we do it here at New Heights Church. That's why we want everybody to get involved. I'm talking about eternity. And I told you, the older I get, the more I realize that my time is precious. My time is precious. On Mother's Day, a friend of my, our family and Pastor Justin knows them. We were all at, at college together in Seattle. On Mother's Day, we saw the post from our friend that his wife uh, early 40s passed away of a medical emergency C completely healthy no problems she was on a, a, a Mother's Day birthday trip with her daughters and she didn't wake up that morning broke my heart still breaks my heart I can't it's hard to imagine what that's like but it also made me come face to face with that knowledge that our time here is short. We don't know when our last breath will be. And since we don't know, don't you think we should make the main thing the main thing? And that is eternity. In our last study, our, our spring semester of small groups, we went through a book by Francis and Lisa Chan. And Francis Chan is always talking about eternal things. And it was a marriage small group, but it was so funny because it kind of wasn't even about marriage. It was more about eternity. And he gives this story, this illustration at the end that has just stuck with me and my wife. And we just, we're, we're kind of making it the mantra of our, of our lives. And for me, again, this burden, this, this burden and this weight of of fulfilling the mission of God because it, eternity is forever, but getting there is not. And he tells a story that many times as we get older, we look forward to our time of retirement. And as we retire, we're looking at slowing down and, and stopping and taking a break. And I've heard countless people as I ask them different things of getting involved and how God's using it. Is, oh, yeah, I did that. I, I put in my time. I put in my time. At, uh, uh, at my daughter's 
And my daughter's uh, in a school little uh, choir thing. These kids went up and gave a joke, and they said, they said, uh, what do you call a retired person? And they said, ah, never mind. Those jokes don't work anyways. Talking about the retired people don't work. Again, it's just bring it in, into focus. And I, I thought, as Francis Chan said, he, he said, he said, we tend to slow down towards the end of our life. But, call, but Paul calls our life like a race. That we're in a race. And if you look at racers and runners, when you're in a race towards the finish line, what do you do the last lap? You, of course, you slow down. You're tired. You're like, uh, you know, I put, I put in three quarters of the mile. No, they give it their all. They keep going. They don't stop to where when they cross the finish line, they can hardly pick themselves up off the ground because they're exhausted. They gave it their all. And Paul uses that illustration for our lives. That as our lives come closer to an end, are we giving it our all? Are we just saying it is all about eternity? If there is somebody that doesn't know about Jesus, if there is somebody that is not finding their freedom, knowing and discovering their purpose and making a difference, and my job isn't done, is that how we look at our life? I think that's how Jesus wanted us to look at our life. Jesus didn't get to the garden. He said, okay, well, I went as far as I wanted to go. No, he said, I'm going to give everything. And he did. He gave his life. God is serious, and eternity is real. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you. We love you, and we need you. We need those reminders. We need those motivations in our lives and in our hearts. For God, it is all about eternity, and what that means is it means eternity with you, our Creator, our Heavenly Father. Lord, would you help us all to make the main thing the main thing? Would you help us that in light of every single day, in light of the trials, in light of the temptation, in light of the hardship, God, we would hold it up to eternity and would we say, is this worth it? Is my response of what I'm going to do next in light of eternity, is it worth it? Is there more that you have for me? Would you help us all to figure that out and do that? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to draw your attention to your connection card. Pull out that connection card. We've got some next steps on there. I want to invite our ushers to come forward as we prepare for our morning tithes and offering. This, this moment, this time, this is an extension of our worship. This is our response time. It's our time of honoring God with our finances and our obedience and our faithfulness. And maybe this morning, as we've been talking about eternity, you find yourself in this place where you say, you know, I, I, I don't have eternity, but I need it. I need a relationship with Jesus. It's as simple as just saying, God, come into my life. I need you. I love you. Forgive me of my sins. And if you, you've said something like, if you made that 
that prayer today. Just mark that box. We want to celebrate with you in that. Maybe, you sit, maybe you're on there and you say, you know, I just need to make a fresh start with Jesus. I've, I've done that in the past, but boy, I've let the trials and my situations and my circumstance, boy, pull my focus, and I just want to make a fresh start. Jesus, I want to make the main thing the main thing. If that's you, just mark that on your connection card. And if you feel the urging of the Holy Spirit to sign up for growth track, to sign up for a small group, there's areas on there for you to do that. I want to encourage you to do that. And as an extension of our worship, as we give this morning, we're just going to ask God to bless it and use it because we're going to trust Him with every area and part of our life. We want to be obedient and generous in that. So Lord, would you bless this offering? Would you bless this time? Would you use us to make a difference for eternity in helping people in a growing relationship with your son, Jesus?